It's been said that the Bible begins in a garden and ends in a city. And uh, how wonderful that as we sit here today, we can contemplate the beauty of both. A garden here in the city. In the spirit of the uh, children's story, let's just begin with a time of silent listening before God. Our Bible opens with the breathtaking story of God in the very beginning, creating the heavens and the earth. After creating whales and dolphins, tigers and giraffes and kangaroos, penguins and flamingos, God pronounces them all good. And then on the sixth and final climactic day of creation, God looks at everything that God has made, and there seems to be a new synergy between all of creation, and God now says, it is very good. The Hebrew here apparently, uh, does, or very good, doesn't quite get at it. God is saying, fantastic, awesome. So creation ends with God's cosmic wow. And then in our Bible's second creation story, if you've never noticed, there are two in Scripture, God forms the first human, and Adam, Adam is Hebrew for human. God forms Adam from the dust of the earth, and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. God plants a garden in Eden as an expression of God's love and gives Adam and Eve the very unique responsibility to till and to keep it. To serve and to preserve this garden. God calls them and God calls us to be good stewards of the creation entrusted into our care. In other words, our calling is not to be earth takers, but earth keepers. And one of you told me this past week that you were part of a club at LMS called Earth Keepers. Now, did you notice how God very generously in Genesis 2 gives to human beings the responsibility of naming every creature? You see, when we are given the ability to name something, we are more apt to take care of it. And in Genesis 2.19, we have this amazing scene of God, God bringing to Adam every living creature to see what he will call them. 
And as a bird lover, I love to imagine God's delight as Adam names each and every one of those birds, black-capped, chickadee, ivory-billed woodpecker, ruby-throated hummingbird, yellow-rumped warbler. And then I love to imagine God smiling after hearing that name. Last Sunday after worship, Harley Cooker shared with me how barn swallows have been returning year after year after year to their farm like clockwork on April 15. Has nothing to do with the IRS. Now think about that. They fly all the way from the forests of Colombia and Venezuela and they arrive in Christiana on April 15. And Harley even opens the doors of his barn (laughs) so that they can come in and build their nests of mud. But the sad thing is that in recent years, these these barn swallows and their migrations have become unpredictable. And suddenly, instead of arriving at a very precise time, sometimes they're arriving many days early, and sometimes they're arriving many days late. And when they are arriving many days late, Harley has begun to wonder, is this going to be the year that they don't show up anymore. You see, Harley's deep connection with creation through his feathered friends has led him to ask, what on earth is happening between here and South America where those birds are coming from every winter or every spring? Now, these barn swallows, they fly just a few inches off the ground, above water and above the earth. And imagine all the obstacles that they must navigate as they make their journey to that barn in Christiana. Through clear-cut forests, choking pollution, extreme weather, and urban sprawl. You know, if you think about it, every one of those swallows that actually makes it into the barn is a living miracle. In the story of Noah's ark in the flood, a dove first returns with a a freshly plucked olive branch in its beak. In fact, that's the symbol of our denomination, isn't it? Mennonite Church USA. Later on, when it doesn't return, remember the dove goes out and it doesn't come back. And for Noah, this is a wonderful sign. It's a sign that the flood has ended and there's a safe place for this dove now to make its home. 
But today, the failure of birds to return is often the opposite kind of symbol. A symbol of the devastation of our world and its habitats. And dear friends, remember that Jesus tells us that no bird falls to the ground that falls to the ground is ever forgotten in God's sight. Remember what Jesus says about the sparrows. As we learned last week in Psalm 148, God's praise is not complete without the participation of every bird and fish and animal. But sadly, the voices we hear from creation these days are often not of praise, but of distress. As we read in Romans 8.22, all of creation seems to be groaning. Everywhere we look, we see God's creation under attack. Our burning of fossil fuels is raising the earth's temperature. Melting ice caps. Raising sea levels. And I saw a list of all the cities that are imperiled as this trend continues. Plant animals, plant and animal species are vanishing. And you know, in popular culture, dystopian novels, ever heard of Hunger Games? And apocalyptic films are now giving expression to our great human anxiety about the future of our planet. Our ecological crisis is leading many Christians to give a fresh reading to our Bible. For too long, we've seen salvation as a free pass to trash this planet and then go to heaven. For too long, we've prayed the Lord's Prayer and completely ignored what we're praying. Thy will be done. Where? On earth. On earth. As in heaven. And so we underlined it in your bulletin today so that we are sure to see this. For too long, we've overlooked Psalm 24's radical message. The earth is... The Lord's, not the corporations, not the landlords. It belongs to God. And there's nothing that we have that is not a gift to us from God, including this beautiful tree from Harold. And so what's happening is as our eyes begin to open up to these realities as Christians, we're starting finally to notice the cosmic scope of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. In Greek, John 3.16 does not say, for God so loved human beings that God sent God's Son. It says God so loved the cosmos. 
The whole creation. And I don't know if you heard it in Colossians 1, 20 and 23 today. We learned that Christ was reconciling all things and all creatures, not just people, to God. What does that mean? I'm not sure. But it opens up vast new vistas of the scope of God's salvation work. And I think because of this, in recent years, more and more Christians are starting to include creation when we talk about what is at the core of our faith. For example, in our Mennonite Confession of Faith, it says, human beings have been made for a relationship with God, to live in peace with each other, and to take care of the rest of creation. We can't love God without loving our neighbor. And we're starting to understand that our neighbors are not only human, but are also creaturely in the world around us. One last thing that we're noticing in Scripture is that Revelation 21 tells us The shocking news that God's final address will someday be here on planet Earth. A new Jerusalem will come down from heaven and God will live with us here on a restored Earth. In a recent article... In Sojourner's Magazine, Ched Myers urges churches to work more intentionally at what he calls replacement. Replacement. And now he's not talking about what we do with our computers and cell phones, replacing them every two years or three years. What he's talking about is reviving the ancient idea of the church as a parish. A faith community deeply rooted in a particular place. Myers is building here on what Wendell Berry, a Kentucky poet and farmer, says, and what he's been saying for decades. The key question is not how to care for our planet, which is too big for any of us to grasp. The key question is how to care for each of its millions of human neighborhoods and natural ecosystems, one at a time. The one where we live. Each church needs to covenant itself to a particular local place. Getting to know our neighbors. Making friends with our city leaders. Our fellow creatures. Getting to know where our food and our water come from. And where where our garbage goes when we put it out the door. 
One thing that we're learning in this day is we talk about throwing things away. There's no away. There's no away anymore. I believe this call to replacement is especially relevant and exciting for us here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church because it connects so powerfully what we have already been doing. And it connects with our congregation's vision of contributing to the well-being, to the shalom of our city. From here at East Chestnut and Sherman, for over a century, we have been seeking to share Christ's healing with our neighbors on this side of the city. And more recently, we've also been beginning to share Christ's healing with suffering creation as well. Of course, we all need to work at these issues where we live and where we are employed. But as a faith community together, we can help each other to ask the hard questions that we're much more likely to avoid if we address them alone. Questions about what we drive, where we live, how much we consume, and what we eat. As a faith community, there are also many things that we can do together here as a church that we can't do alone. Things like community meals. Chestnut Housing Corporation, tutoring local kids, purchasing rain barrels, and advocating in this city for creation care. What's going on here, folks, is that when we each bring our little flickering candle, and you bring your flickering candle, and we join them together, that's when we can shine together with the so much more brilliant light of Christ. Four of us got together this past week to plan our morning's worship service. And one of the things that came out is how each of us struggles so much to be hopeful about our world as we learn about the environmental catastrophe that looms ahead if we all continue living and consuming as we do. And so we come here every Sunday to remember the Bible's audaciously good news that the future destiny of the whole cosmos is God's kingdom of love in Jesus Christ. We hold on to that, even though we don't know how that will be. We come here to remember that the day is coming when all the empires of this world will finally become the kingdom of our God. 
And in this Easter season, we come here to remember that Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of this promise. We come here to remember that we love and serve a God who knows how to draw good from evil so wisely and so beautifully. And so here in this place, here in this place, we seek to live and eat and serve today according to God's future. And as we align our lives with God's shalom, God's ways of peace and humility and self-restraint, we hope that we will also begin to bring hope to all those around us. Amen.